All signs point to the Seahawks and Geno Smith having a reunion in 2023, but what if the Seahawks decide to swing bigger at the quarterback position this offseason? Rob Rang and I are going to be diving into that possible scenario on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Glad to be joined for our latest Mock Draft Monday by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in California, in 49ers territory, in Texas, or in nearby Everett. We greatly appreciate all of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. All 32 teams now officially in off-season mode with the Super Bowl now in the rearview mirror. The Seahawks now really a month away from starting the new league year and free agency and all of that excitement. So we're going to have plenty to talk about here in upcoming episodes when it comes to free agents, positional groups, things of that nature. But today it's Mock Draft Monday and we're going to be flipping the script a little bit. Rob broke down my draft last week. I'm going to be diving into one of his mock drafts today on our episode. And we'll also be in the second quarter taking a look at the linebacker group as well. How the season went, what went right, what went wrong. Jam-packed episode coming your way. Let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Geno Smith won the Comeback Player of the Year for the NFL on Thursday at NFL Honors, capping off a remarkable revival season, 30 touchdown passes, nearly 70% completion rate, first in the NFL in that category, and he broke Russell Wilson's previous record for passing yards in a single season, albeit with one extra start, as he made sure to tell reporters when they asked him about that accomplishment. Nonetheless, it's still a remarkable season for Geno Smith, and now heading towards free agency, all signs point towards the Seahawks, getting everything put in line to make sure he is back on the roster next season, whether that's franchise tag or a multi-year contract. But Rob, you and I, we, we talk, we have discussions with people in the league that know a thing or two about what's going on behind the scenes. And going to be honest, this is not something that I expect is going to happen but I have heard enough rumblings that I think that this is not just off-season fodder. It's not just smoke. The idea that maybe the Seahawks might be swinging a little bit bigger at the quarterback position, at least turning the stone over to see if it's a possibility to do a franchise tag swap with the Ravens for Lamar Jackson. Which obviously would you know put the NFL on its ear if Seattle was going to be able to make a, a move of that type of magnitude. You have the Heisman Trophy winner, the Baltimore Ravens, you know, their franchise player. It, it would be an unbelievable trade from so many different elements. But the one thing that we certainly know about Pete Carroll and John Shire, they, they've said from the get-go, is that they are certainly going to be doing their due diligence. They're going to be putting their ear out there to understand everything that's going on with every single team out there. And, you know, it, when you look at what's going on here with Seattle and Geno Smith, everybody's saying all of the right things. Uh, that, that was mostly the case 
with the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson as well. But the fact that that things do, do seem like they maybe they frosted over a, a little bit in, in Baltimore. Uh, maybe some of the luster has uh, you know rubbed off of, of Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. I think for any, even the the most optimistic of Geno Smith fans in Seattle, I, I don't know that you can argue that that Smith really tilted the field in Seattle's favor the way that Lamar Jackson can tilt the field uh, for a club. And you look at the talent that Seattle has on their roster. Obviously, offensive line continues to be an issue, but when you have the dynamic athletic ability a quarterback like Lamar Jackson has, then you can kind of mitigate that the issues as far as pass rush and things like that. And then you complement Lamar Jackson's running ability with his proven accuracy on deep ball, uh, his, his just dynamic uh, dual threat abilities and how much that leaves defenses off balance. Um, you know, I, I think that it is something that the Seattle has to uh, at least consider just because, again, if you're talking about giving Geno Smith 30 to you know 30 plus million dollars then why not jump that price up a little bit more and get that much more of a dynamic playmaker yeah and you look at the statistics from this season and obviously Lamar Jackson missed the last five games of the regular season as well as the playoff game with an injury and that's going to be one thing that is worth noting here the play style for Lamar Jackson, it lends itself to him getting banged up because he does run the football so much. But you look at the statistical comparison this year, and Geno Smith across the board, at least as a passer, was the better player. Significantly more yardage, 30 touchdown passes compared to 17, a completion rate that was 7% higher. He had only four interceptions more while he played in five more games. Passer rating that's nearly 10 points better. But then you have the rushing yards. Lamar Jackson had 764 in just 12 starts. This is a player that consistently runs for 1,000-plus yards. It's the type of weapon that we just haven't seen in the league, except for maybe Mike Vick at the beginning of his career. I mean, those are the two players that have been that dynamic running the football. So from that standpoint, if you're wanting to have an attack that truly is multiple, Geno Smith proved he can run the football some last year. He is not Lamar Jackson in that regard. And I will also say this. Lamar Jackson has never had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at his disposal. He's had some pretty good tight ends. Mark Andrews has had some huge seasons in Baltimore. But every time they've tried to get him a top receiver in the draft or in free agency, injuries happen or it just hasn't panned out. He has not had that elite talent on the outside he would instantly have the best receiving core that he's ever had with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You mentioned the deep ball. That's a strength in his game. He would have two outstanding deep threats to throw the football to, and defenses would have to account for his running ability, which makes defending the pass that much more difficult because if you're dropping extra guys back in coverage, that makes it easier for Lamar Jackson to just take off and pick up yardage anytime that he wants to. With that being said, as much as this pipe dream is fun to talk about, I would not make this move, and there's a couple reasons why. One, I mentioned the durability issues. Even though Lamar Jackson is seven years younger than Geno Smith, his play style, you just have to wonder how long he's going to be able to do that. At some point, you're going to have to take the foot off the pedal a little bit when it comes to running the ball. You're going to have to be more of a pocket passer to have a longer career. And I don't know if that's something that is going to age well in Lamar Jackson's game. And I wonder about his durability being able to just stay on the field when you're paying a guy upward of $50 million per year, which is what he's going to want and a near fully guaranteed deal too. 
Uh, that contract issue is the other thing. The Seahawks barely have enough cap space to get Geno Smith signed for the contract that everybody's talking about. They would have to do some more manipulating to be able to fit Lamar Jackson in. Now, could that be worth it? Absolutely. We're talking MVP that feels dynamic athletic ability, and he's a better passer than advertised. You give him better receivers. Who knows what he will do? But I just think that cost, the durability issue, and the fact that I think Geno Smith in this offense, he has shown you what he can do at a cheaper price point. I would rather attack other position groups with the money that I have and build around him. And maybe you can draft a young quarterback as well to develop there rather than giving up Geno Smith. And you would likely have to trade at least a second round pick, if not one of your first rounders, along with Geno Smith to get Lamar Jackson and then pay that hefty toll to extend him. So I just think there's a lot of complications here. But I will say this again, I mentioned it earlier, I have heard enough grumblings from people in the know in the last few weeks to know that the Seahawks have at least looked into this from a curiosity standpoint. I think that there's a little bit of smoke. Well, I, yeah, I think that there is some smoke out there. And I think that, uh, again, it's it's just obvious as to why Seattle would be interested. Just the upside with the, the still very young Lamar Jackson. As you mentioned, a former MVP, uh, you know, he's got an all-time uh, touchdown to, to interception ratio over his career, three to one. Um, you know, this is a guy who, uh, you know, I think that there's still a there's still a perception that he has untapped potential left. Yeah. And then again, with the receiving core that Seattle has, it's just so far surpasses anything that the Baltimore Ravens have ever demonstrated. Um, so, again, I think that you can understand the appeal of it. I have to agree with you, though, Corey. But I, I think that as exciting as it is, I think that as much as much as it might um, you know, intrigue the Seahawks, I think that they feel so good right now about what they unearthed with Geno Smith. I think that just it's not just about what he brings to the table as far as on the football field. It's off the football field when Geno Smith proved to be the epitome of leadership. And Lamar Jackson at times this season proved to be a bit of a distraction. And obviously the fact that he was off the field so much of this past season gives you all kinds of reasons for concern. And one last thing I would say about Lamar Jackson is that, again, as good as he is, his touchdown numbers have dropped the last several years now in a row. This past season actually was one touchdown thrown more than the year before. But of course, again, he was coming off of, of injury. So the fact that since he won MVP four years ago, his touchdown production has dropped significantly each time. That's what gives you that pause. So again, I think there's this is fun uh, conversation. I do think that there is a possibility that Seattle may do something absolutely huge when it comes to the quarterback position. And that includes, of course, um, using their, their draft picks to, to select a, a rookie um, in this year's class. But I do think that the most likely scenario, as we've talked about this entire offseason, Corbin, is, the Gino, is that Geno Smith will re be retained and will be Seattle's starting quarterback next season. Yeah, all signs are pointing towards that. That being said, we know John Schneider is willing to think outside of the box at any position, including quarterback. So buckle up. There could be some fun stuff coming here in the next month or two as we continue towards the free agent, uh, start of free agency in the beginning of the new league year. We're going to continue our end of season report card up next with the linebacker position. They were missing a certain player in the middle this year, and the group at times was solid and at times it was a pretty rough group. We're going to be looking at what went right and what went wrong coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks.
Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Over the past year, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with debilitating health issues, and it can be a struggle to cope with that mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all, and BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you to your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy has worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you, and BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for all of our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash on. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Mock Draft Monday. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether it's the first time you've listened to Locked On Seahawks or you are a diehard regular listener. We appreciate all of you supporting our podcast. Let's get to our end-of-season report card. We almost are done with all of our position groups. We've covered most of Seattle's defense. There's one position group remaining and it was the biggest question mark for the Seahawks going into the season. That was linebacker Bobby Wagner, who for a decade roamed the middle of Seattle's defense, perennial all-pro player. The Seahawks cut him last March to save cap space. He ended up going to the Los Angeles Rams. It became the Jordan Brooks show, and Cody Barton finally got his opportunity to start after biding his time his first three seasons, primarily as a special teams player, there were a lot of questions about depth. There were questions about whether or not Cody Barton could be a starter caliber player in the league. There were questions about whether Jordan Brooks could step up and take the green dot in his helmet and be that leader on Seattle's defense, kind of a quiet guy off the field. Would he be able to handle that? And the answer is maybe after one season, because this truly was a year where I think when you look at the linebackers, Rob, the best word to describe them is average. I don't think that this group is as bad as some fans seem to let on. I mean, I've seen plenty of people out there saying Jordan Brooks is trash, Cody Barton's trash. I don't agree with that sentiment. At the same time, I don't think either one of these guys were Pro Bowl caliber players this year. They certainly weren't all pro caliber players, and there was a lot left to be desired this season. Some of it might have been the scheme, uh, but overall, this group truly was an average one. And so I got to give them a C grade. Yeah, I, I think a C grade is uh, is actually probably pretty generous. I think that you could make an argument that 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 um, that Seattle's linebacker play at times this season was hovering closer to that D range. But I I will give uh, you know some acknowledgement to the. I thought the improvement that Cody Barton showed uh, towards the second half uh, of the season, obviously with Jordan Brooks going down with the injury, it's difficult to to mark him down. But I, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, when we did our half year, uh, you know, report card on the team, I really was pretty bullish on, on Jordan Brooks. I really thought that he would be able to kind of take this team under his wing, really become, as you said, the, the team captain, the green dot, um, and really just – 
take this team to the next level. And that did not happen. And of course, now they're going to be coming off of a major knee injury. Then it leaves you that much more concerned. Cody Barton being a free agent, uh, you know, entering free agency at this point um, only does have the one year as a starter. I don't think that either of Seattle's linebackers really has the girth that you ideally would like uh, in a traditional three, four alignment. I do love the athletic ability, the awareness and coverage that both of them offer. I think that they that that's an area that, that Seattle still um, has a great deal of, of talent in that they are, I think, better suited to play in today's wide open space NFL than a lot of teams NFL linebackers can do. But it, it's almost like you have to you have to earn the opportunity to play coverage and Seattle's inability to hold up the point of attack in the running game, which so many analysts and fans out there blame on the defensive line. I think that a lot of that burden fell on Seattle's linebackers as well. So I agree with the C grade. I think, again, it could maybe even be a touch generous uh, for this group. I think it's going to be a fascinating uh, positional group for Seattle to move forward. Of course, they got the 10 draft picks. They've got a little bit of, of cap flexibility. There are going to be some good veterans available in free agency at this position. To me, this is, of all of the defensive positions, this is the one I think the Seahawks fans really need to be focusing in on we just talked about the quarterbacks and that there could be kind of a a shocking selection or a shocking trade i feel the exact same way um, when it comes to the inside linebacker position especially not the pass rushers the guys like we've been talking about with cody barton um and uh, of course jordan brooks and one last thing Along with the transition to this defense, obviously the absence of number 54, Bobby Wagner, it you know, required so many more people to focus in on, on Seattle's linebacking core. And I think that that's it, it's testament to the rejuvenated career or excuse me, rejuvenated season that Bobby Wagner had for the L.A. Rams this past year. Um, but the reality is the Seahawks gambled big that Jordan Brooks would be able to duplicate what Bobby Wagner had been able to do throughout his Hall of Fame career and Brooks. While statistically he measured up, in terms of big plays, there just weren't very many of them this year. And then certainly with Cody Barton, you got to see improvement if you are going to be able to justify bringing him back with the starter pay that I'm sure he and his representatives are expecting. Yeah, I think when you look at the numbers, obviously Jordan Brooks, raw tackle numbers, he stacks up with Bobby Wagner. He had 161 this year, had 184 in 2021. So he is a tackle machine. He has been in the top six in the NFL both seasons, and he accomplished it this year while really playing 15 games because he got hurt in the first quarter against the Jets in week 17. So really he missed the last two games for the most part. The one that really improved the most was Cody Barton, though. When you look at the coverage numbers, he was first in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, among linebackers from week nine to the end of the season, giving up just 6.7 yards per attempt. He was in the top five in passer rating against. And unlike Jordan Brooks, we saw some impact plays. He had two interceptions. He had two sacks. He improved as a run defender. The picture of those watching on YouTube, him bringing down Cam Akers, in pursuit on third down after Geno Smith threw an interception on the opening play of the game in that season finale. That was one of the best plays that a Seahawks defender made all year. Snuffing out a screen in the Broncos game in week one. There were plays where you could see the athleticism for Cody Barton. And I thought that became more evident in the second half of the season. So I might be a little more bullish on Barton's promise going into his fifth season than what some people are just because I saw enough in the second half of the season from him including some of those splash plays 
that quite frankly, we just haven't seen from Jordan Brooks. And I don't like piling it on because he's coming off of a torn ACL. He's in the early stages of his recovery. And I still think that he can be a top five, top 10 linebacker in the NFL. He has the tools to do it, but there's no sugarcoating it. He has yet to have an interception in his career. He has given up 13 touchdowns and has no picks. He's given up at least five touchdowns in coverage each of the last two years. So while there have been flashes, there have been spurts where he's been good in coverage, there have also been extended runs where teams have been able to expose him. And that has not changed in his first three seasons in the league. He had three tackles for loss this year. That's it. We talked about that with Bobby Wagner last year and said that's a sign that he's declining. Well, Jordan Brooks is 25. You should be making more impact plays than that. He's not getting the tackles for loss. He had one sack this year. He's been decent when he blitzes, but it's not something that's been a featured part of his game. I want to see him really, when he comes off this injury, you'd like to see him be able to start flashing more in terms of not just making tackles, but making those impact tackles in the backfield at the line of scrimmage. He had more missed tackles this year too. I don't know if there was a burden on him taking over for Bobby Wagner. But it just seemed like he wasn't as loose as we saw him in 2021 out there on the field. And so that is a concern, especially now he's going to be coming off an injury. You don't know what he's going to be moving like coming off this injury. Most guys can make it back from ACL tears now. And luckily, it sounds like he didn't have any other damage. But that would be my big concern is that you've got a guy that, like Barton, is under 245 pounds. We can talk scheme fit issues all day long at this position. But if he isn't moving quite as well as he did before the injury or he's playing tentatively coming off an injury, uh, that does not bode well for the Seahawks. So this does look to me like a position, whether it's drafting a player early or going out in free agency and picking somebody up. Like I would be willing, if, if you think Jordan Brooks is going to miss a good chunk of 2023, I'd be calling up Jermaine Pratt's agent or uh, even Edmonds agent from the bills and saying, look, we're willing to open up the checkbook. We need to upgrade this position for 2023. It's certainly a position where they could use a bigger body linebacker in that 250 range that can also move, can thump people, can defend in coverage. And there are some guys in free agency that can do it if you're willing to pay the price. And that might be a position Seattle has to be willing to do that with. Yeah, and that's one of the things that concerns you um, is the fact that uh, there there are some good players in free agency, um, but this is not an elite draft when it comes to those traditional off-ball linebackers. So the value, the the what you're expected to pay to receive those free agents or on the draft, how high you might have to take those players because there just aren't very many of them. That that's going to make it a you know a difficult sell, I think, for for some Seahawks fans out there. Um, and so again, that, that's one of the reasons why I think that this is fascinating and I, I love the fact that you just mentioned just the you know the struggles that Jordan Brooks has had in coverage because again we're talking about a, a really dynamic uh athlete but at the same time when you suffer a torn ACL then of course your athleticism is one of the things that is going to be taken away so if Jordan Brooks is not as dynamic athletically as he was prior to the injury then what is he you know, because again, we're just not seeing the big plays. And uh, to to uh, to contrast that, uh, you, you mentioned that the big play that Cody Barton made um, against Cam Akers. I mean, I would 100% agree with you. That was absolutely dynamic play, along with some of the interceptions that Quandre Diggs had, and of course, some of the plays from Tariq Woolen. Uh, I thought that that was the most athletic, the best 
demonstration of athleticism and awareness of any of Seattle's defensive players this season. So again, really excited about Cody Barton's upside. You mentioned the his pass rush ability. I mean, that's something I don't think that he gets enough credit for. He it's does just, no. He's always shown some wiggle as a pass rusher, some awareness as a pass rusher. So again, I, I think that Cody Barton is a player that Seattle has to really strongly consider how much money they're going to be willing to pay him. Cause I think that he's going to be looking to get paid. And I do think that he very similar to Geno Smith, you know what you have with him. He's one of your guys. So I do think that this again, could be a situation where I, I've heard a comparison to Will Disley that Seattle had to overpay to keep Will Disley in the, on the field. I would not be surprised if Seattle has feels like they are in a very simple situation with Geno Smith as well as Cody Barton, just because again, of the injury to Jordan Brooks. And you feel like you have to have some type of continuity uh, at that linebacker position really quickly. I think as far as depth, Tanner Moose showed flashes, um, you know, intrigued by what we talked, you know, what we saw early in the year, way back in training camp and things like that with like Vi Jones and some of Seattle's other linebackers. There, There is some good young talent, obviously, when you got a guy like Brock Coyle and people like that. I mean, there's some, you know, you, you have some upside there. You have some bodies there. I just don't know that you have, again, any kind of dynamic difference making type of players. So that's why I do think this is going to be a position to keep an eye on for the Seahawks. I think that you meant John Radigan because Brock Coyle retired from the NFL like five yeah. years ago, I think. But you know, maybe he'll come back. Who knows? But uh, yeah, those Radigan. guys are both Radigan. coming from Montana schools, undrafted guys. So it's easy yeah. to mix them up. And I think they're pretty much prototypically the same size too. So yeah. it's very easy to mix those two up. But Radigan maybe is a guy that could get an opportunity next year now that he's going to be more than a year removed from that torn ACL. Maybe that is a name to keep an eye on. But certainly this will be a position – that is going to be an interesting one to watch to see what the Seahawks choose to do, especially with Jordan Brooks's injury situation and potentially missing a good chunk of next season. Up next, it's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to flip the script. Last week, Rob graded out, skewered my Mock Draft. This time around, he's going to dish out his latest Mock Draft, and I'm going to give him some grades and a little bit of critiques on his draft picks. So we're going to get to that coming up next year on our Mock Draft Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. We've reached the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player double parlays. For example, you can bet on Joel Embiid going for 35 points in the 76ers winning on Monday night for plus 118. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to Mock Draft Monday here on Locked On Seahawks. This is Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the awesome 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's Mock Draft Monday, and we're going to switch gears up from last week. We'll get back to looking at the Mel Kuyper and those type of guys in the world, their mock drafts. We'll get back to that next week, but we like to mix it up here on the podcast. And last week, I dished out my second Seahawks mock draft, and I gave Rob the opportunity to grade and evaluate my selections. 
We're going to switch it up on this mock draft Monday, and Rob is going to be the one sharing his mock draft, and then I'm going to share some thoughts and maybe some criticism, maybe some compliments, even though I don't really like giving Rob compliments necessarily. We're going to have some complimentary uh, discussion on his mock draft. So, Rob, I'm going to have you take it away here with your first three rounds here in your second mock draft. Okay. Well, you know, really similar to what you did with your mock draft, Corbin, I'm going to start off on the, the line of scrimmage, number five overall. With the mock draft that uh, that I did, it went basically exactly as you might have expected with those first four players that we've talked about so much. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, quarterback position, Jalen Carter, and Will Anderson, of course, all being off the board. I had Seattle stay at number five, even though there were some trade offers that were presented to me from the pro football focus uh, draft simulator that I used. Um, but I elected to stick uh, stick at number five overall, take Tyree Wilson. We've talked so much about the just this massive, bendy, very unique athlete that Tyree Wilson is. The fact that he has the tackles for loss and sack production that he has. I think that you are getting bigger and more physical at the line of scrimmage to help with the running game. I also think that you're getting much more dynamic as an edge rusher. When you hear 66275, uh, you know, a lot of people are imagining him as a big defensive lineman, but he played the vast majority of his time at Texas Tech as an outside linebacker, as a stand-up guy. And it's in that way that I think that he might really intrigue the Seahawks because he is so versatile. You can line him up on the outside. You can slide him in inside. He could be a stand-up guy. He can drop back in coverage. There's just not a lot of guys who are as big and long and athletic as he is. So he is not the immediate difference maker. I don't think uh, that a lot of people are expecting at the number five position or number five overall pick. But I think that the tools with him are so exciting that he is somebody that the Seahawks are going to strongly, strongly consider. I do think a trade down or a quarterback is going to be a possibility. But right now, I think that Tyree Wilson is Seattle's likeliest pick. Number 20 overall, I think that this is another one that Seattle is going to look to possibly trade down out of if they possibly can. Um, you know, just because of the fact that there is a fairly big drop off um, between some of Seattle middle round selections and I think if you can get acquire a pick for next year's draft that much better uh, at, at the same time again I think that if Seattle does bring back its quarterback in Geno Smith then I do think that you might see Seattle stay and select the best player available here and as I mentioned before, when we're talking about linebackers, the drop-off Corbin this year at wide receiver to me is terrifying. If you were a club like the Seahawks, who obviously has two superstars in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but little after that, then I, I do think that you have to kind of be thinking about what what you what do you want to do here. Um, and Jackson Smith and Jigba to me is, is the player who I think makes a little bit of sense at 20th overall. Now this might shock people because we have not been talking about wide receivers that much. I've been pounding the table for guys along the line of scrimmage. I get that. But again, Smith and Jigba, to me, what I like about him, 6'195 pounds. So he's got legitimate size. He can play inside and out. I love him in the slot. To me, he's got some Keenan Allen attributes to him in that he's physical. He is a very sharp route runner. I mean, this is a kid who was a five-star recruit. I mean, who isn't in Ohio State? I get it. But a five-star a five recruit, he he led the entire Big Ten in receiving yards as a sophomore. This past season, he struggled with a hamstring injury. That's why he did not play. He only had, like, I think, like four grabs all year long for the Buckeyes. Um, but at the same time, it's a soft tissue injury. I think this is a player who 
Some have suggested maybe he recognized his draft standing and kind of took it easy. That, that's what that's what play, that's the the era that we're living in. Um, I just see a guy who is ready to pop immediately, and then if you have any type of injury issues with your starting superstar wide receivers, to me Smith and Jigba has that um, the ability to kind of come in and hit the ground running. It can be that other guy. Um, so to me, it made a lot of sense here. I think it would surprise some people. That's one of the reasons why I made the selection as well. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, we've talked about this. The receiver talent in this draft, it's very top-heavy. And D. Eskridge has not done anything for you. He's not been healthy. So if you are ready to see if you can find a superior option at wide receiver number three, then Smith and Jigbo would make a lot of sense. Because of that slot versatility, he is an outstanding route runner, can create some after the catch. Maybe not the best receiver in the draft at that, but he would help Seattle in that regard. And you put him in the field with Lockett and Metcalf. Good luck to opposing coordinators, especially because he can really do damage in the middle of the field. And Geno Smith showed last year that that is an area where he can be a proficient passer that maybe Russell Wilson was not during his time in Seattle. And so a little different style receiver from the slot, but with a different quarterback, I think that it makes a lot of sense. And we've talked a lot about Tyree Wilson. I think that's a home run pick at number five or number eight, as he was on mine trading down, if you can get him there because I think he is a perfect fit for the scheme they're wanting to run as a 275-pound edge defender that has dropped back in coverage, that can set the edge, and still has a lot of untapped potential rushing the passer. The one thing I disagree with you on, I think he can be an immediate impact player. I see that on the film, and he was playing in the Big 12. And sometimes defensive players can have a hard time standing out in that conference that is a constant track meet back and forth. I think he is going to be a better NFL player than a college player. Uh, playing in pro-style defenses against pro-style offenses. So I'm really intrigued. I like both of those picks. Now going to day, uh, day two, your second and third rounders, I know you've got a few crushes here in round two. I said before, I really think that the biggest area of concern for Seattle is, again, the interior of their offensive and defensive lines. And yet here I don't have any interior offensive linemen or linebackers. And so what I did here is Seattle, of course, had the 37th overall selection as part of that trade with Denver. I actually dropped down there, dropped down slightly from number 37 overall to number 46 overall, making a trade with the New England Patriots, um, also swap, also receiving a third round pick, number seven. 76 to get uh, and giving up a fifth round pick to do so. So again, I'm getting it's still going to be the same number of picks, 10 overall draft picks in my mock draft, but I did trade a second and a fifth to get a second and a third um, in return because I just really like the top 100 talent in this draft class. And so I went with a linebacker, Dayon Henley from Washington State. Uh, pro football focus, they don't like this great. Uh, they, they think that Henley is a, is a guy that should be selected in the fourth round. I think I'm not so sure that Dayon Henley is going to get himself out of the first round. Um, and But if he is available to Seattle in the midpoint of the second round, considering the linebacker situ uh, concerns that Seattle has, I think that Henley makes an awful lot of sense. So I went with the Washington State linebacker Dayon Henley, number 46 overall. Another pick that a lot of people are not going to like out there, and I understand it, but it's the quarterback Tennessee from Tennessee, Hendon Hooker. I just see some elements of his play that remind me a little bit of Geno Smith, just the underrated accuracy, especially on the deep ball. Corbin, this is a guy in Hendon Hooker that is coming off of an ACL, and I think that that is significant.
one of the reasons why I like his fit with Seattle, because again, you're assuming the Seahawks are going to retain Geno Smith. You want a quarterback that you can develop for the future, but if you can't play on the field immediately, then obviously it's just Geno Smith's job and you still have some time to kind of learn behind him. I think that Hendon Hooker, because of the offense that he played at Tennessee uh, and, and previously at Virginia Tech for that matter, um, is not a pro-style scheme. He is going to need some time, but he had four years as a starter at Tennessee, obviously SEC competition, two years at Virginia Tech as well. Four years as a starter, he never threw more than five interceptions in a season. So talk about the, the ball protection that Pete Carroll has always prioritized. And again, you're talking about a guy who finished fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting this year. I mean, he basically put Tennessee on his shoulders. That's why the Vols were a national title contender, beat Alabama this season. So to me, again, Henry Hooker, I think, makes an awful lot of sense. One of my absolute favorite picks, one of the reasons why I made the trade down with the Patriots I mentioned before, is I do think that Seattle needs to make some adjustments, again, on the interior of the offensive line. And so for me, Steve Avia, uh, he's listed as a guard at TCU. That's where he played this past season. Again, I'm looking for big schools because that's what Seattle is focusing on big men as well. And then finally, my last of the top 100 selections, Gervon Dexter, uh, big defensive tackle. This is a run stuffing type. This is that, that big, uh, you know, two gapper, uh, you know, 6'5", 310 pounder that I think I like his ability to play up and down the line, up and down the defensive line. I think that he makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks as well. Yeah, I look at these picks and there's there's a couple of them I really like and there's a couple of them that I'm not going to say that I dislike them. I just have some question marks with them. Henley, I still look at the rawness at the linebacker position and the size. Those are the two things that concern me when we're talking about a 3-4 defense. But it's it's undeniable what he looked like at the senior bowl. And there's a lot of things to like when you watch the film at Washington state. And I know there's a chance he could even go late first round because of what he's done so far this off season. I just have some questions with him as an actual linebacker in the NFL, the size concerns. Can he still grow into that frame? Maybe a little bit more, maybe, but as you've talked about, he's a pretty chiseled player. And then Hendon hooker, my issue coming off an injury and he's going to be 25. He is an old quarterback to come into the NFL to be a developmental player. If he was somebody that was going to play for you right away, then I could overlook that because I can still get 10 to 15 years out of him as a quarterback in today's NFL. But if he's 25 coming in the league and eh, it might be two years till he's ready to play, he's going to be almost my age. <laughs> I mean, so, and I'm getting to be an old man. So that's that's really my concern there. I like the talent, but like you said, he's not coming from a pro-style offense. I do think there's going to be some acclimation period on top of the fact that he's coming back from, I believe, his third torn ACL in his playing career. He has had a lot of knee issues. So I, I get it. There's a lot to like from a player profile, but that is one that I would be a little skeptical about just because of those couple of really big red flags. As for the day three picks, I love them. Uh, Avila, I think, is a player that can start for you on day one. I expect he's probably going to go in round two, but if he's there in round three and you recoup an extra third round pick, you're getting a guy that maybe could play some center for you too. I like the positional versatility. I like the size. He's a better athlete than advertising. He was great for that national championship squad from TCU. And then your last selection in the third round as well. Really like the pick of Gervin Dexter there at pick number 83. He is another one that I anticipate is probably going to go in the late second, early third. But if he's there, 83, a guy that can move up and down the line, has good athleticism for a player of his size. 
maybe some untapped pass rushing potential too. They need somebody that can fit this 3-4, that can play multiple spots, and can also also harass the quarterback. And he certainly is a player that's capable. So I would say most of these first six picks I completely side with you on. Let's get to your four-day three selections because you did move back into the third round, so you only have four picks the fourth round or later. Yeah, exactly. And so looking at those last selections, um, you know, I, I think that running back is a position that we know the Seahawks are always going to highlight. And one of the guys that really impressed me is Eric Gray. Eric Gray originally started his career at Tennessee, then transferred to Oklahoma, and he really didn't get his opportunity to truly shine until this past season, but he did shine this past season. It was absolutely spectacular for the Sooners, uh, despite not having a a lot of talent around him. Um, and then he went to the senior bowl, was voted the the player, or excuse me, the running back of the week by his peers and the coaches there. Um, he is not the traditional Seattle back, but I think that he can give you something as a third down receiver or a third down back. I love the fact that he has both punt and kickoff return experience. Um, and then again, I just feel like this is a player who still has untapped potential and is used to being part of a uh, you know, of a rotation at the running back position. And I think that that's important uh, if you want to have a running back who's going to be able to come in and have the the mentality to share the rock. I think the CL um, requires at the linebacker position. Again, I, one guy who might be a little bit smaller, but still packs a wallop. And I love the instincts and physicality that that would be Ivan Pace Jr. Um, from Cincinnati. We talked about before the, um, you know, how it's important to have some guys that, you know, already have some familiarity with, with Kobe Bryant. Uh, exceeding expectations, I think, for the Seahawks this season as a rookie, then uh, Pace, I think, he Bryant would have that uh, understanding of Pace to perhaps give the Seahawks a little bit of an insight into who he was. McClendon Curtis is a... A small school offensive lineman. We talked about, um, you know, UT Chattanooga and what they were able to do a year ago. Cole Strange I mentioned the New England Patriots before. Cole Strange was their first round pick a year ago. McClendon Curtis was a tackle at UT Chattanooga, moved inside and played guard primarily at the Senior Bowl. And I thought that he really played well. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Seattle again double dip in the interior of the offensive line. So that's why I have them selecting here in the late sixth round. And then finally, the seventh seventh round pick, which a lot of mock draft simulators out there do not yet currently have Seattle having that seventh round selection. But I have been taking Eric Scott Jr. He's a traditional Seahawk corner. He's 6'1", 195 pounds. He's got some ball skills. He had two interceptions this past season. He took them both to the house. He's got the 32-inch arms. He's not the open field tackler that the Seahawks would prefer, but at the same time, he turns some heads with his man-to-man skills, the East-West Shrine game. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be some kind of fly in the ointment if you're going to be available in the seventh round, but I still think that he checks off enough boxes. I wish I could have found Seattle a tight end in this draft class, but all of them came off the board so quickly, um, and so that's why I feel like this is the best representation of the type of draft I think the Seattle is going to focus in on. I do expect there to be a quarterback. I do expect expect there to be a real focus on the line of scrimmage. And I do expect there to be some more pass catchers added to this group as well. I'd be curious to see which running backs were still on the board when you took Gray, because I know that the production is there over 1300 rushing yards this year, and he does have five receiving touchdowns in his career. So he does offer that receiving ability as a possible third down back option. I'm just wondering about his fit in, in what Seattle's looking for, because really Ken Walker, the third at 209 pounds 
he has power, but he's not necessarily a between the tackles trucking running back. They could use somebody that's more that style. So that would be the only thing me nitpicking there. But Gray certainly could be that replacement for Travis Homer as your third down back. I got to see his pass protection stuff, too, because he's not necessarily a player early in his career that when he got those opportunities excelled in that regard. Uh, you got to be able to pass protect if you're going to be the third down back. So there would be a few questions for me, but that's round four. You're starting to look at some players where you're going to be taking stabs in the dark at that stage of the draft. The other three selections I love in terms of value. Pace could maybe be a day two guy because of what he did in the senior bowl, even though he is an undersized linebacker. He was a nuisance for offensive linemen all week when he was pass rushing, when he was blitzing. He's a guy that can get after the quarterback. He plays with a relentless motor, can drop back in coverage. He's just one of those guys. He is a football player. And the Seahawks would love that aspect. Even though he isn't that bigger linebacker we've been talking about them needing, it would make a lot of sense. If you can get him at round five, that has a chance to be a steal with a guy that can play some snaps for you on defense right away, especially in nickel and dime packages. You can do some creative stuff with a linebacker like him. And then your other two picks, McLennan Curtis, I picked him in my mock draft in the seventh round. You can get him anytime late in day three is a guy that I think has starter upside down the road. He's got to work on his footwork a little bit in pass protection, but he will get after it in the run game. He showed that in Mobile with a couple of nasty blocks in the game to open up big running lanes for Evan Hull, who had the most rushing yards of any player in that all-star showcase. And your last selection, the corner from Southern Mississippi. To be honest, I hadn't heard much about him until you and I started talking about him today. Went back and watched some tape, and it's easy to see why he would be a late-round flyer for the Seahawks because he has the size, he has the length, he does have five career interceptions, two of them returned for touchdowns. But it immediately jumped out to me that he was really struggling as a tackler, and you know that that would be something that Pete Carroll would need to get cleaned up before he ever saw the field in defense. But I think that's the kind of corner they will be drafting if they're going to pick one is somebody that's a late-round flyer that they can develop because they're in good shape with Tariq Woolen, Mike Jackson, and Trey Brown at those outside cornerback spots. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, love is in the air. We're going to be talking about plays on Valentine's Day that we love from the Seahawks surprising 2022 season and it's Transaction Tuesday. We'll be looking at a certain group of players and deciding which ones will be back in 2023 and which ones won't. Should be a fun episode. Hope you'll be listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.